Sephora stores are everywhere you are. So just pop in when you need a brown lip to match your 90s playlist, a confidence boost before your interview, or a last-minute gift for mom's birthday. There's always a Sephora near you. Just pop in. Use our store locator to find your local Sephora or Sephora at Kohl's. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello and welcome to the Northern Agenda podcast, coming to you from Reach, the people behind the Liverpool Echo, Teesside Gazette and Lancashire Live. If you want to know what's going on in Northern politics from a Northern perspective and outside the Westminster bubble, you're in the right place. I'm Northern Agenda editor Rob Parsons, covering the North every day with an email newsletter that drops in your inbox just before lunchtime and brings you up to date with the latest political news from our region. All you need to do to sign up is visit www.thenorthernagenda.co.uk. In a week where Northern Tory MPs are pondering how much longer they can stand behind Boris Johnson, we spoke to one of the Prime Minister's biggest allies in the region, Rossendale and Darwin MP Jake Berry, about Partygate and whether an elected Metro Mayor is the answer for the County of Lancashire. I still think, lot on the big calls that the Prime Minister's got things right. He delivered Brexit, delivered the vaccine rollout programme. Is he a perfect human being? Absolutely not. I think he's acknowledged that by apologising. I think that's the right thing for him to do, and um, you know, but I still think he's a good leader. And ahead of the Convention of the North in Liverpool, I spoke to the Liverpool Echo's political editor, Liam Thorpe, about the big issues facing decision makers in his city. Liverpool has a, has a difficult history with the, with the Conservative Party, uh, both more recently and, and um, in, in decades gone by. And there, there's certainly a feeling from some people that we're getting beaten over and over again. Of course, a lot of that anger is directed at people within the council, within the previous administration, whose failures allowed the government to take this action. But, but there is definitely a feeling that Liverpool is perhaps being made an example of by some people in the city. But before we get to that, let's focus on an issue that doesn't get talked about perhaps as much as it should, but for many parents is a matter of huge concern. In Wakefield, West Yorkshire, an investigation has found hard-pressed parents are being forced to pay out more than £250 for their child's secondary school uniform. A report by a cross-party group of local councillors said the cost of uniform was too high, a barrier to education, and was leading to bullying and truancy among pupils. Wakefield local democracy reporter David Spearall has been covering this. So, uh, David, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rob. It's good to be here. Good to have you on. So, this is something that's been a concern in Wakefield for quite a while, hasn't it? How did we get to this point? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think this is sort of an issue that's kind of been sort of simmering, simmering away in the background for a good few years now. So, since I, I sort of started covering the council a few years ago it's the cost of uniform is something that's been brought up by councillors MPs politicians sort of every so often and it's kind of come to a head now where there were just sort of so many kind of similar stories from from 
people that the council decided to, to sort of knuckle down and, and try and really delve into the issue. So over the last few months, they've been talking to, to schools, to parents, to people who run uniform exchanges, which are kind of run sort of similar to, to food banks and are there for sort of parents who are really struggling with the, the cost. And they've sort of produced some really interesting results with the inquiries that they've done. And the report was, was published last week. And as you mentioned, it's found that the average cost of a, a secondary school uniform in Wakefield from a, a sample of schools that they looked at is 267 quid. It's slightly cheaper if you're primary school, it's about 208. But obviously, if, if you're a parent with, you know, two kids, three kids, four kids, that's that's a thousand pounds for, you know, a, a couple of school uniforms. And you might, we know how, how quickly kids kids grow up, um, you know, you might have to be paying that two or three times a year because they, they grow out of uh, the one that you've got them. A couple of the other issues that the, the group found was that um, a lot of schools are using just one supplier for all of their uniform. So that naturally kind of pushes the, the prices up because there's no competition. The insistence on branded items. So parents aren't allowed to go just, you know, sort of go to the local supermarket and get a generic polo shirt or a, a sweater or trousers as, you know, perhaps we, we used to back in the day. One really interesting line that I thought kind of really sort of brought home the, the kind of the whole lottery feel to this was the fact that at some schools, the price of girls' trousers was higher than boys' trousers and, and vice versa. And that's something that I think as a parent must be unbelievably frustrating because you know it, it's presumably the, the same material same sizes of what have you but they're different prices so certainly a, a huge issue and um, there's been quite a lot of talk about it this morning yeah that is extraordinary different prices for girls and boys trousers so I guess this issue is even uh, you know that the importance of it has been heightened by what's going on at the moment nationally with you know cost of living crisis and inflation presumably that's how that's focusing people's minds on this issue even more yeah absolutely you know as we all know energy bills going up inflation going up and this is just a, another added expense for, for people wakefield and the, the five towns um as it's, it's called just sort of the area that wakefield council covers historically it's got quite high employment rates compared to sort of some of its neighbours. But it's, relatively speaking, it, it's a low-wage economy. It's very reliant on manual labour and, you know, warehouses and, and distribution centres and, and places like that. So people work and they work very hard, but they're not very well paid. There's, there's not a lot of money swilling about. So costs like this, 267 quid, you know, lots of families just simply can't afford it. And it, I think what councillors are saying is that it's you know it's such an indicator of poverty when you know kids are, are turning up either in uniform that's too small for them too big for them it's not the correct uniform if you want to put that in inverted commas as, as far as the schools are concerned so yeah you, you can just imagine the the stress that it, it is causing parents not just in wakefield but, but all over the, the country at the moment when you know you're having to pay for everything else your wages aren't going up and you've got you've got this as well and what are the schools saying in response to the criticism that they've had from uh, local councillors? So yeah, that was that was one of the, the, the things that the the report said was that academies aren't being transparent enough about their, their pricing structure. So that was a, another criticism that they mentioned. I spoke to the National Association of Head Teachers about the the report and um, what it had found, and they said, well, a, a lot of schools do a lot of kind of really good work in supporting families, you know, uh, subsidising the, the costs and what have you, and that's true. I mean, I've, I've been 
in a meeting this morning where the report's been discussed and there was sort of councillors talking about how their local school helps and a lot of teachers you know work outside of their, their contracted hours to do work at uniform banks and stuff the national association of head teachers also said that sort of the overwhelming feedback they get from parents is sort of taken into account by a lot of schools you know um, and that there are there is you know at least a sense of dialogue there the other thing that i did was that i put an foi request into sort of every kind of secondary school um in the, the district and asked can you give me you know what prices you charge for each individual uniform item um and how much profit do you make for, from all of this and the overwhelming feedback i got from that was we don't actually make any profit from this we use uh, a supplier and then we simply pass the the cost of producing it on to the parents but i, I think that's kind of the the crux of the issue if you're just using one supplier it's it's going to be expensive so uh, clearly i think there's there's a disconnect here between sort of how the schools and the academies see things and how politicians and, and parents are seeing things and one thing that one member of the group mentioned this this morning in the meeting i've been in was that there's like a, a clash between the image of the school you know what's best for the image of the school and what's best for the, the children and i think there's a valid question there about our are the priorities right there at the moment? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I suppose it goes sort of back to what is the purpose of having a school uniform uh, in in the first place, which is uh, perhaps a wider a wider question. There's some quite new government guidance about this issue, and that's what what effect is that having? So yeah, so, so the government um, actually put some guidance about this last year, kind of in, in recognition of the the fact it's it's a growing problem, um, and on paper it you know, what they've said should, in theory, kind of address the issue. They've said that the cost of uniform shouldn't be a barrier to to parents when they're choosing a school, i.e., you know, you should be able to, you shouldn't have to be looking at uniform prices when you're deciding where best to to put your kids. And they've said that branded items, which is kind of the cause of a lot of this, should be kept to to a minimum. The problem we've got is schools and academies don't have to fully comply with that until the summer of 2023 so that's that's kind of an 18 month gap and you know a question there about what do we do in the in the interim there's a, an argument as well from the schools that their budgets are extremely tight at the moment you know as we all know kind of funding from the the department of education and and pretty much everything else for for public services has been cut and, and fallen in real terms over the last sort of 10 years but I think what some people in the, the education world look at it and think, well, academies are set up to be able to sort of generate their own income. Whereas sort of in the, the days when perhaps you and I were, were at school, every school was under local authority control and every penny was accounted for and every penny had to be reinvested. And I think there was more, there was perhaps a sense that there was accountability there from a local authority, whereas academies, yes, they have to publish their accounts and, and what have you, but they do have more freedom and more flexibility to make money and, and make a profit. So there's a lot of recommendations, a lot of problems sort of uh, brought to the surface. What happens next? Where, where are the solutions going to come from? Yeah, so the, the report um, and the council has basically recommended that in the short term, Wakefield Council set up a, an emergency funding pot for, for parents who are struggling. And they've also um, significantly, I think, called on the academies to, to pretty much do the same and to offer a bit more support. It was mentioned this morning, the um, Labour councillor who's actually kind of been responsible for leading on this and, and putting it together, told this morning how she'd spoken to one school and called them up and said, you know, can you tell me how you would help, you know, a parent in in this situation? And they apparently told her, well, we'd recommend a, a uniform exchange, which, as I mentioned earlier, it sort of runs similarly to food banks. The problem 
with that, of course, is that's putting pressure on the volunteers who run, you know, those uniform banks and they need space to do it. They need time to do it. They need space to sort out donations, sort out, you know, what people are bringing in, wash the clothes um, and redistribute them to those who need it. So there's a feeling that kind of a lot of this is just being lumped onto essentially charity and people who are doing this for, for no pay. And, and out of the goodness of their hearts. So the hope is that these recommendations, um, if they're adopted by the, the council formally as, as they're expected to be in the next couple of months, will at least help and just kind of tie parents over a little bit until this government legislation comes in next year and hopefully perhaps won't kind of solve the issue wholesale, but will at least go some way towards making things a, a little bit easier for parents. Great stuff, David. Thank you so much. It's an issue, I guess, that other local leaders around Yorkshire, around the north of England will be looking at with interest, because obviously it's not just Wakefield where this is a problem. So, uh, David Spill, thank you so much for, for talking to us today. Pleasure, Rob. Thanks very much for getting me on. You join us in what has shaped up to be another whirlwind week in Westminster, We've had more number 10 lockdown party allegations and the explosive news that the Met Police have now launched their own investigation into the reports. With me to digest all the latest comings and goings and much more besides is Rosendale and Darwin MP Jake Berry, who also chairs the influential Northern Research Group. Jake, welcome. Thank you. So I suppose it only makes sense if we start with Partygate. Um, In light of the police investigation, do you think it's time for Boris Johnson to go? I still think, lot on the big calls that the Prime Minister's got things right. He delivered Brexit, delivered the vaccine rollout programme, and also particularly before Christmas. Now, if your listeners or viewers or a mixture of both think back to that pre-Christmas period where people were suggesting we should not lock, we should lock down, not least the Labour Party, particularly forcefully, but it was a big gamble to say, I'm going to trust the British people to behave right, let's not lock down, and it's paid off. So on the big calls, I think the Prime Minister still gets it right. Is he a perfect human being? Absolutely not. I think he's acknowledged that by apologising. I think that's the right thing for him to do. And, um, you know, but I still think he's a good leader. Do you fear at all that if this is allowed to fester and kick on as it is, that your Northern colleagues could lose their seats in an election uh, next year or, or whenever it's called? Well, I like to think that by the time we get to the election, hopefully COVID will be a dim and distant memory. I don't know about anyone else. My major thing with COVID is I want to get on with my life. I want to put it behind me. It's been a terrible time for people. I've lost relatives. Other people have lost relatives. People have had a really difficult time in work. And uh, it's just been a real struggle for the country. So I think by the time we get to the next election, taking the long view, I think people will think that actually on COVID, we got most things right. We didn't get everything right, clearly not. And I hope that they'll judge the government at the next election on things like the levelling up agenda, which I think is hugely positive across the north of England, from Newcastle to Liverpool and everything in between. I want to see that paying dividends. And I hope that people will make their decision based on what the government's done for them, rather than what may or may not have happened during the COVID pandemic. Now, we've seen reports this week that the Northern Research Group are planning to hold a spring conference. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, details will come out later. We're just in the process of getting venues firmed up. But, I mean, that is driven by a belief that, you know, for years, for decades, 
we have uh, seen policy and uh, you know, the way we are governed driven out of London and the south of England. Now, I happen to know, because born and bred in the city of Liverpool, lived and worked in the north my entire life, that the greatest ideas from the invention of the steam engine to the splitting of the atom and everything in between have come from the north of England. And it's an opportunity for the people, the businesses and the communities and the politicians of the north who are centre-right, because it will be a largely conservative event, to come together and talk about how we transform our country. And I am impatient for that change. I want to see Britain move to a completely devolved model. I want to have mayoral combined authorities across the north of England. I want us in the north to have real power and agency over our life, keep more of our own taxation. And the way we do that is by making ourselves masters of our own destiny and really pointing out to our poor friends in the south um you know what we want the agenda to be we, we need to do things for ourselves rather than have them done to us now you've mentioned leveling up obviously the white paper has been trailed and talked about a lot we've been told it's potentially next month uh, it's due to be published i don't know how much of that you've been you, you've seen or you've been consulted on but i suppose what your and your northern research group's red lines when it comes to this leveling up white paper how will you judge it if it's success well the, the truth is that the levelling up white paper will be the start of a very big debate in Parliament, which will come out in passing legislation, all of which takes time. I would be amazed if the levelling up uh, bill that will become an act was in, you know, in force any time before the summer. Um, so I guess our red lines for levelling up go beyond the white paper itself and are probably driven by what we see in our communities. So for people like me, uh, that's a, a town deal transforming our communities that would apply just as much in, in Southport as it will do in Blythe as it will do in Bishop Auckland, you know, across the north. And I think really what we are going to want to see in terms of levelling up agenda is more things like the town deals, like house street deals, like the movement of government departments not being talked about in Parliament, but actually happening on the ground. And a great example of that of course, is the Treasury moving to Darlington, that's hugely welcome, is the new cyber security centre going to Salmsbury and Lancashire. That's a government that is approaching things a different way. And it's not a party political point, um, because obviously the Labour Party moved the BBC out of London. I think there was no one now who doesn't think that's been brilliant for the creative industries across the north. Um, we're not the first people to do it, but I think as a government, the Conservatives are doing it at a different pace. And of course, we, you know, we want to see much more of that. And I think that they are red lines. It's, you know, don't talk the talk, do the do. That's what we want to see for levelling up. Earlier this week, there was uh, levelling up questions and Michael Gove was grilled a couple of times by Lisa Namby over how some of the levelling up cash had been allocated to various constituencies. I think Peter Dowd, the MP for Bootle, pointed out that his constituency, which is one of the most deprived in the country, only received, didn't receive anything, whereas some ministers' constituencies maybe got a little bit of money. Do you think the government needs to be a bit clear on how some of this funding has been allocated to various uh, towns and, and regions? I think they are quite clear. It's all done against the matrix, which is, of course, both designed and scored by an independent civil service. Um, I sort of like hear these sort of cries um, sort of repeatedly every time the government gives out money. But if you look at one thing I was involved in, which has been subject to some criticism, which I don't run away from, uh, the, the town deal or the high street funds, if you look at the local authorities, of course, the vast majority of that has gone to Labour boroughs. In fact, the money going into um, 
Southport, of course, goes to Sefton, which is, which is a, a very strong Labour borough. Um, government should be politically blind when it comes to the division of taxpayers' cash. It doesn't belong to the government or even the Conservative Party actually belongs to us, the taxpayers. And that's what I think we have seen over the decades and I know will continue. Now, lastly, Jake, um, you mentioned elected mayors before, and obviously and we all know this is something close to your heart as a former Northern Powerhouse Minister. We've seen you know, how well they've worked in places like Manchester and Seaside. What do you make of Lancashire's decision kind of not to go ahead with an elected mayor in their devolution bid? I think that was published just a little bit earlier this, this year. Well, I think, I think it's a mistake, uh, and I think it's a mistake particularly in terms of Lancashire for two reasons. One, because I think any form of devolution without some form of local reorganisation, and as the MP for Rosendale and Darwin are being slightly broken about it, is the wrong thing for people who live in Lancashire. It cannot be right that there are more councillors in East Lancashire than there are senators who run the United States. I mean, it's ridiculous. I want to see far fewer uh, politicians. I want to reduce the cost of politics, and I just want quicker decision-making. And two-tier local authorities have had their day um, they are not efficient and frankly any devolution bid should be focused on improving services to the people who live there and driving efficiency for the taxpayer and i don't think a bid that doesn't include reforming local government ticks that box and secondly i i think it's a real missed opportunity uh, not going for an elected mayor i know that many councillors don't like it but in truth if i was you know, seeking to invest in the aerospace industry, or I was seeking to invest in cyber security, of course, something coming to Salisbury and Lancashire, um, I wouldn't really know who to talk to. If I want to invest in Greater Manchester, I'd send an email to Andy Burnham's office, or Teesside, I'd send it to Ben Houchin, or even uh, to Steve Rotherham in Liverpool. And I just think politics has changed. I think these powerfully powerful elected accountable individuals who can speak for a whole region's economy rather than an MP who speaks for maybe a couple of borough councils in my place or a council leader who speaks for in some cases as as little as 50,000 people. I just don't think that's the way business is done in the modern age. I don't think it's the way business wants to interact with local government and in truth I don't think it's the way central government wants to interact with local government and I think if we don't pursue that twin track of reorganisation and uh, having an elected mayor, uh, Lancashire will continue to fall behind and that's certainly something I don't want to see. So, pending any unforeseen political event, in a few days' time, Boris Johnson's levelling up secretary, Michael Gove, will be in Liverpool to meet Northern political and business leaders at the Convention of the North. There's no shortage of pan-Northern issues on the agenda, but what are the big political hot potatoes in Liverpool right now? It's been a dramatic few months for local politics in the city, so let's find out a bit more with Liam Thorpe, the Liverpool Echo's political editor. Hi Liam. Hi Rob, how you doing? Good, yeah, pretty good. How are you? Yeah, not bad, just trying to keep pace with uh, everything that's happening in the city and the country. There's a lot going on. Well, yeah, it's quite quiet to be honest. I've not really noticed much uh, much happening. To... <laughs> it's uh, keeping us in jobs anyway. Absolutely. Well, you are focusing quite rightly on Liverpool and Merseyside, and the first of your five things to know about Liverpool is that there could be big changes in how the city is governed. What's going on with that? 
Yeah, so a quick potted history. Um, Liverpool has had a, a, an elected mayoral system since 2012. Um, that was brought in without a public vote, um, to, which is obviously remains controversial to, to this day. It was done by a council vote. And Joe Anderson was the first elected mayor of Liverpool. He was in that position until December 2020, when people will probably be aware he was arrested um, as part of a corruption investigation by Merseyside Police. I should say at this point that he's not been charged and he denies all wrongdoing, but he stepped back from his position. He was then replaced um, ahead of the, the delayed elections um, last year by the similarly named, but not at all related, Joanne Anderson. Um, and she made history as the first to become the first black woman to lead a UK city. Uh, she was a backbench councillor before. She'd only been on the council for a couple of years. So she suddenly sound, found herself thrust into the most um, high-profile job in, in the city. Um, but what followed was a, 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 a damning investigation about the, the sort of past five years at the council by uh, a government inspector called Max Carla. And that unearthed loads of, of failures and, and problems, uh, particularly within some key departments at the council, like regeneration and planning. And it led to loads of changes coming in, including the installation of Whitehall commissioners, but it also meant big electoral changes as well. And the electoral cycle has changed in Liverpool. It used to be that a third of the council was up in every three or four years. Now it's going to move to all out elections every four years. And of course, there's the issue of the mayoralty. So the Labour group had previously promised to give a referendum on the mayoralty on whether to stick with it or revert to the leader and council model that we see in, in the majority of councils across the country. Because of the changing timings, that situation now has to has to be hammered out this year because we're going to have all our elections in 2023. And what the council are now saying is, uh, the Labour group, sorry, is saying they can't really justify spending half a million quid on a, a one-off referendum. Um, so they're instead going for what they're calling a, a citywide consultation, where they think they'll try and present the information about the various options and let everyone have a say. Not everyone's happy about this. Quite a few people saying we were promised a referendum, we should get one. I, having spoken to people, happen to believe that the same result will probably happen. I think the mayoralty will go. I think people are a bit fed up with it and that the problems that have come through the investigations. And I think we'll probably return to a leader and cabinet model, which we had before 2012. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, there's not too many sort of cities around the country that have an elected mayor. Obviously, you've got your metro mayor serving bigger areas but it's relatively unusual for cities now so joanne anderson she you've been speaking to her haven't you in the last few days about her stance on all of this how will these changes impact on her yeah so it's really interesting because she previously was quite a, a strong voice for getting rid of the the mayoralty that was probably before she knew she was going to become the mayor because it was definitely an unexpected turn of events that she did so i asked her you know and she did say uh, to be fair before coming into power that she would stick to the the, the promise of, of giving people a, a referendum. So I asked her, you know, what she feels about the criticism that she's not going to do that now. She's going to do it as a consultation. She says that, again, she's confident everyone will get a say. And just at a time of more swinging budget cuts, they can't justify spending half a million on a vote that, you know, might not get the biggest turnout. Um, she's already had her, her mayoral term uh, reduced because this, these changes to the electoral cycle means that they've, they've lopped a year off what would have been her mayoral term. So She's actually, of course, the elections were delayed. She's actually only going to get two years in office uh, rather than four. She says she's OK with that. That's that's something that sort of came along as part of the improvement journey. The interesting thing is what she does next, because she is not a councillor now. She is uh, the mayor. If the mayoralty goes, she would have to, if she wanted to stay on the council, she'd have to seek re-election as a councillor. 
And then I think it's probably unlikely that she'd have the support within the Labour group to, to become leader. So she was tight-lipped when I asked her this this past week um, what she what she might be planning to do. She said she's having come into this uh, sort of you know crazy job during a pandemic, uh, coming out of a pandemic, and, and all the, the, the Liverpool-related problems she's faced, she's learned not to make too many predictions. So she's just going to take it day by day, which I thought was quite a, quite a good political answer, actually. Now, the other quite interesting, astonishing, really, story going on with Liverpool City Council is what's going on with these commissioners imposed by the government. And people are furious, aren't they, about what they're being paid? Like, to, to, how, how did that story develop? Yeah, so this is one that we we broke originally. It's um, it's getting people's backs up pretty understandably. You know, these four commissioners were appointed by Robert Jenrick when he was the Secretary of State for, for local government. He's obviously not anymore. They arrived back in June and they're overseeing work in, in the most troubled departments that were that came in for the most um, criticism in the in the Carla report. So they're sort of people who have local government backgrounds or other backgrounds who are overseeing these departments. Now What's interesting is when uh, I think it was December, um, a sort of similar intervention got mentioned, got um, announced for Slough Council, and there was a, a, a sort of buried deep in there. There was a document about commissioner pay rates, and we noticed that it meant that other commissioners in other areas were going to get their pay increased to the same level. And in Liverpool, this meant that these four people were going to get a fifty percent pay rise, and they they weren't on, you know, they weren't on small amounts earlier. Um, what it means is that the lead commissioner is going to be on about 180 grand a year for 150 days work and his supporting team of three will all be on about 160 grand it's all in all it's about when it's been backdated as well to June when they started it's about just under 700,000 pounds a year and they're here for three years the council are, are really unhappy about this the mayor's really unhappy about it but they're backed into a corner there really isn't much they could do except uh, except sort of approve this this huge pay rise which comes against a backdrop of an, of, a, of a council budget crisis, council having to find another £33 million in cuts, a cost of living crisis. You know, Liverpool has some incredibly deprived wards. People, particularly with the energy cap rise, are having to think about how they're going to choose between eating and heating. So for these government appointed commissioners to be to be pulling in, you know, 180 grand a year at this time when they've been assigned to, to, to find best value at the council, it really isn't sitting well with, with people in the city at all. I mean, the optics are as they say in politics, they're terrible, aren't they? And you, you, you wonder if it had happened in another part of the country, not Liverpool, whether it might have got a bit more widespread media attention than it has got. Yeah, and also, obviously, that you know, Liverpool has a, has a difficult history with the with the Conservative Party, uh, both more recently and and um, in in decades gone by. And there, there's certainly feeling from some people that we're getting beaten over and over again. Of course, a lot of that anger is directed at people within the council, within the previous administration, whose failures allowed the government to take this action but but there is definitely a feeling that Liverpool is perhaps being made an example of by some people in the city. Now all of this I guess comes back to like you say the Max Caller report a devastating inspection report for Liverpool Council. Are we going to see any other changes to the council come out of that? Yeah so as I've mentioned already you know it's 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 going to fundamentally change everything really we're going to probably have a different a whole a different leadership structure a different governance model We've already had election changes uh, to the electoral cycle. And the other thing is it's actually going to change the, the map of the city, um, which is one of the bigger changes, really. Um, currently, Liverpool is divided into 90 wards, uh, sorry, 30 wards of with three councillors in each. 
Um, we're actually we're going to have a reduction, not a huge reduction in the number of councillors down to 85, but the, the wards are going to be divided up um, much more um, into much, much smaller wards. So you have a lot of single member wards rather than three councillors in each ward. And, and we're going to, there's going to be lots of different names for different places. People are going to find themselves living in a different named area. So people are really going to notice these changes. The feeling from the inspector is that when you have three councillors in a ward, sometimes one councillor ends up doing all the work and the other two can sort of ride on the coattails and, and you're not necessarily getting the best value for taxpayer money. Whereas if it's a, if it's a, a many more smaller single per, single member wards, everyone knows who their councillor is and and they have to really work for their for their position. So that's interesting. We've, we've had the draft proposals for that new map sent off to the Electoral Commission, uh, the Boundary Commission, and we'll, we'll, we'll hear back from them shortly. But it just goes to show that the, the situation following the colour report means that pretty much everything about how Liverpool is run is going to change. And of course, it's not only Liverpool Council in your patch. You've got all of Merseyside or the Liverpool City region to uh, to cover. What, what, what other notable stories are going on around your patch? Yeah, so as you will know, Rob, it's uh, it's budget season. Um, I've just mentioned previously that you know Liverpool probably one of the hardest hit areas in the whole country really over the last ten years. About lost about five hundred and fifty million pounds in, in budget funding is is having to find another thirty odd. But Wirral is also in big big trouble. Um, and our local democracy reporter George Morgan has been covering the situation in Wirral. They also had a, a pretty damning inspection report, slightly different to what happened in Liverpool. It was more specifically about its finances and financial management and things like that. And again, it's that they've, they've requested some financial assistance to do with their, their budget. But as a result of this, they're being told to make more cuts. It's about £20 million of the cuts they've got to make. And these are really, really going to hit hard because the current proposals involve closing 11 libraries and a really popular leisure centre as well. You know, these are things that make up the fabric of a society. And obviously, people are really, really unhappy about this. They're currently out in, in a consultation on this, and they'll they'll have to approve this budget before then going to full council. But it looks like the, the majority of those libraries could, could go. And it just shows how council's continuing to be hit by by the austerity measures that we've seen, you know, for the last 10 years or more. And who's the uh, government minister ultimately responsible for these uh, the, these cuts? Michael Gove, who'll be coming to Liverpool. He's picked, he's, he's picked his moment well. Uh, I imagine he'll get a uh, a robust reception in the city. That's, that's a good way of putting it, robust reception, certainly. Well, uh, Liam, thank you so much. And we will be back next week with another visit to a different part of Northern England. Thank you for listening to the Northern Agenda podcast. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our daily newsletter at thenorthernagenda.co.uk. It's more important than ever for Northern voices to be heard. The Northern Agenda is a laudable production for Reach. It's presented by me, Rob Parsons, and Dan O'Donoghue. And it's produced by Daniel J. McLaughlin. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to The Northern Agenda wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. See you next week.